I'm preaching this morning on the subject, the river. I want you to turn, I'm gonna go to an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, and look at the Old Testament passage that deals with it prophetically, and then we wanna deal with it as it applies to us practically from the New Testament. In In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel chapter 47, there is a vision that Ezekiel has, and he shares that vision with us about a river. Uh, this particular passage, I believe, is in regards to the millennial kingdom, what will transpire during that period of time. I know you may view it differently, and that's fine. We can still go to heaven together. Uh, but yet, as we look at it prophetically, I think it's looking forward to a time when the Lord will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth, and he'll sit on the throne of David. He'll be king of kings and Lord of lords recognized not only by us now, but by the entire world then. There'll be peace throughout the world, and he'll rule with an iron rod, and it'll be a time where that it's like Eden restored on this earth is the best way that I could describe it to you. But it all starts as well because of what happens from this vision of a river that Ezekiel sees. In that time, the, the uh, temple will once again be rebuilt and we know that's yet to happen prophetically. And when the temple's rebuilt, this is one of the visions that seems to occur around that temple and the reconstruction of the temple. In, verse, in chapter 47 and verse one, he starts the vision by saying, afterward he brought me again under the door of the house, that word house is the temple, and behold waters issued from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under, from the right side of the house, at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without under the outer court by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. So he's got a close up view and now he's back off looking at the river. And he said, and when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits. Let me stop right there. That's 1500 feet. Get that in your mind. And I know that's hard for you to imagine, uh, but uh, take the length of this sanctuary and multiply it by eight or nine, and that's what he went, 1,500 feet. And when he went that 1,000 cubits, he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankles. So 1,500 feet, five football fields, and it's only ankle-deep water. You can go a long way and not get very deep. Question is not how long you've been on the way, how deep have you gone? You know, you can be saved for 60 years and know nothing about the riches of God. Or you can be saved for 60 days and find truths that absolutely flood your soul. It's not how long we're on this journey. Thank God for people that's on the journey a long time. But it's it's our desire to keep going. That's what he's pointing out. Verse four, he measured a thousand. That's another 1,500 feet. We're now 3,000 feet out in the water. Brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand. That's another 1,500 feet. We're 4,500 feet out now. And he brought me through the waters, which were to the loins. Afterwards, he measured a thousand. So now we're over a mile out. 
amount out into this river. And it was a river that I could not pass over for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Let me give you three things real quick about this river and then let's look at how it applies practically as well. The importance of this river and then you'll help, it'll help you to understand what Jesus meant when he taught about a river in the New Testament. The, the thing I call your attention to is first the source of this river. He sees it coming from the house of God and it comes under the threshold which is at the door. So it comes from the door and it's from the south side of the altar. All of that can be found in verse one. So he sees it coming under the threshold. It's coming from the south side of the altar and it's flowing eastward, a new day, the day of a beginning, the dawn of a new beginning. So he sees this river is tied to the house of God, to the door and to the altar. In other words, it's tied to Christ prophetically speaking. This is a prophecy concerning Christ because when he comes in that kingdom, he will be the one that, that occupies as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek with neither beginning of days nor end of life. He'll be there on the throne in the city of God and from him will flow this water and it will have a journey that comes from the door. Jesus is the door. And it comes from the altar. Jesus is the sacrifice. So he's saying something comes from the blood of Christ and the opening of the doorway, which is a picture of the resurrection as well, from the death and the resurrection, just as this temple has now resurrected from the past, he's saying that there's going to come something from Christ, the resurrected one, that will be a river that'll start to flow. So we not only see the source of the river, we see the course of the river. He takes a course down this river where he says, when you journey so far, you first find strength in your ankles. That means the river will help you in your walk. Then he goes to the knees. That tells us that the river will help us in our prayer life. Not only the life that we're living for the Lord, but as we pray to the Lord. He gets to the loins and he says the loins are a picture of strength. So he says the strength comes from this river. So it's something that helps our walk. It's something that helps our prayer life. It's something that gives us strength. And by the way, the river is greater than the prophet because he said, I went 1,500 more feet and he said the river was so big, I could not swim over it. I couldn't get to the other shore. It never ran out. The more I swam and the farther I went, the greater the river got. In other words, this is water that doesn't run out, that is continually flowing and that water is there to do some miraculous things. That's the course of it. So it starts at Calvary and this river, it's made available through the resurrection and it gives us the ability to walk, the ability to pray, the ability to stand strong and the ability to be overwhelmed. You've got to keep those four things in mind or, or the rest of the message won't seem to mean a lot to you. But not only do we see the source of the river and the course of the river, but we see the resources from the river. 
Well, what's the resources from the river? Well, if you'll look in verse eight, he's now been brought back to the brink of the river. He's looking at it, verse eight. These waters issue out toward the east country and go down in the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. Now, not the waters in the river, the waters in the sea. When the waters from the river touch the waters of the sea, they'll be healed. So healing comes through the river. He then goes on to say, and it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, underline the word liveth. So we not only see healing comes, but life comes. When healing comes, life comes. So we see life comes from the river. He says, which moveth? He says, movement comes from the river. He goes on to say, whithersoever the river shall come, that shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live, whether the river cometh. So we see that there is healing, there is life, there is movement or motion, and also there is fish, there is provision, there is multiplication as well, a multitude of fish. Well, all of that's great, preacher. Now, some of you have already ahead of me, but what is the river? Turn, if you will, to John chapter seven, and I think the Lord probably can describe this river better than I could ever put it into words, as always he does. This is now the last day on the great day of the feast. This was referring to the feast of the tabernacles when you get to John chapter seven. Jesus was present for the feast of the Jewish people. He himself, realizing the importance of the law, when you get to John chapter seven, this is the last day of the great day of the feast. This is the feast of tabernacles. It was the reminder to them of how God watched over them through their wilderness journey. They're living in booths, if you will, outside of their home. And it's a reflection to them of how God provided for them, brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness and how the Lord provided them with a bountiful harvest. So this is one of the last feasts of the year and it is the last day of that great feast. So it's on the final day. Every day they went through a particular procedure for time's sake. Please allow me to go into that at another message. I've preached messages here. In fact, I did, uh, I think one time, uh, a series of sermons on all of the feasts and what they all represent. But now this is the final day of this great day of the feast. Verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, which was a day of joy, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow, what? Rivers of what? Did I not just read to you about a river that has the ability that comes from the sacrifice, the altar, under the doorway, which it's represented by the doorway, did Jesus not say, if I don't go to the Father, then the Spirit will not come? Sent from the Lord, and everywhere the river flows, there is life, there is healing, 
There is movement. There is movement. There is multiplication. You know you can't win anybody to Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you know nobody can be saved without the help of the Holy Spirit? Do you know no one can ever be convicted without the help of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that no one can go to heaven except they've been born of the Spirit? Well, preacher, you're trying to, you're trying to take that passage out of context, really. That's not what the river means. Well, let's see what the river means. Verse 39. I think this is pretty plain. But this spake he of the what? Spirit. Is it capitalized in your Bible? Is it capitalized in your Bible? So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This he spake of the Spirit, which they that, that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now don't let this confuse you. I'm gonna give you just a basic theology. Remember, what we believe is important. We've been dealing with that. And here's the, the onset principle of Christ concerning the Spirit. He knew that they only had a mind of the law. These were Jews. They only knew the, the, the law. They didn't know the spirit of the letter. They only knew the letter of the law. So here they know nothing about the spirit. They're like a lot of pe people today, know nothing about the spirit of God, but they know the law. They know to come to church. They know to read their Bible. They know to go through rituals. They know to go through certain ceremonies. They do certain things. They're godly things. They're biblical things, but it doesn't bring life. And it doesn't bring healing. And it doesn't bring multiplication. And it doesn't bring movement. They're there going through the rituals, but there's no life. But Jesus said, there's one that I'm going to pray. And when God, the Holy Ghost comes, you've seen God manifest in the flesh in Jesus. But he said, when the spirit comes, he'll endue you with power from on high. Go wait and tarry for the promise. It's coming. Now, the spirit hadn't come yet because Jesus hadn't died and he hadn't risen from the grave and hadn't been glorified. What do you mean glorified? Well, we, I believe, you're entitled to believe what you want, but I believe from the time of his death until the resurrection and the time that he met with the disciples, I believe that in that time, Jesus presented his blood in heaven. I believe he conquered hell. I believe he led captivity captive. I believe he presented the blood to the Father in heaven. Why did he present the blood to the Father in heaven? Because when Satan became Satan, all of a sudden there was sin found in heaven, in the presence of God. But now heaven had a problem. Heaven had no blood. But not only did Jesus shed his blood for us to be saved, he also now has the blood presented in heaven. And he's now come to lead captivity captive, glorified, hallelujah, glorified by the Father, sent down to us. And he said, that's not the end of the story. I'm going to the Father and the Spirit will come. And thank God on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came down on that 120 and with power 
they received the unction of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. The church had life. The church had life. You say, preacher, are you telling me that if I don't shout, I'm not saved? No. Are you telling me if I don't praise God, I'm not saved? No. Well, what are you telling me? You're alive, but barely. You're not enjoying the trip. Two ways to travel. You can endure a trip or you can enjoy the trip. But I will say this, if the river is flowing out of our bellies, if the river is flowing everywhere the river went, there was life, there was movement, there was healing. Everywhere the river went, there was multiplication. Someone asked me a few days ago, they said, Cal, I don't understand. I don't understand our church is not growing and nothing's happening and I don't understand. And I said, you, you know the answer to that question. Why have you called me to ask me that? You know the answer to that. I said, do you enjoy your own church services? Or do you endure your church services? Now, I don't care what you think of me this morning. I've come to have a good time in the Lord. There is a river that brings healing from God. And where the river flows, there is life and there is movement. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah, we thank you for life, Lord. Glory to God. Oh, glory. I, I don't know how this is gonna go over, but I'm gonna have a good time. If I said the name Rodney, Mississippi, I'd venture to say, that probably, I doubt if anyone in here knows Rodney, Mississippi. Now that doesn't mean you're bad. There's a reason why you don't know it. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you why. Have any of you ever heard the story of Rodney, Mississippi? Oh good, well you learned something today. It was, it's on, it was on the, uh, the Mississippi River and in 1763, the French were the first to occupy it. They named it Petit Gulf, the small gulf. Uh, they had a port there. The river was wide, and it was the ideal spot for a port to be located as they were coming into new territories. In 19, or in 1774, just 11 years later, the British came in and took control of it. And they were there from 74, 1774 to 1781. The British occupied it. In 1781 to 1791, the Spanish took control of it. They had Petit Gulf. 
So now it's been in the hands of the French, been in the hands of the British, been in the hands of the Spanish. And the Spanish decided to sell it in 1791 to a man named Thomas Colvert. Thomas bought the entire town on this small golf port that was there. He had the town for some time and eventually in 1890 or uh, before the 1890s, they decided that they didn't want to keep the name French, a French name on it. So they named the name after Judge Thomas and uh, Judge Thomas Rodney. Judge Thomas Rodney, as I understand it, was one of the judges that was part of the appeals process for Aaron Burr. That's American history and people don't like American history anymore unless they can rewrite it. That's why I preach some from it because I don't want us to lose our history. Yeah, it's not what somebody tells you what it was, it's what actually happened. So they named it Rodney, Mississippi, and it started to grow. There were several prominent people that built houses in Rodney, Mississippi. It grew so fast, in fact, at one point when Mississippi finally decided they needed a capital, uh, it was up for debate between it and Natchez, Mississippi uh, to be able to be appointed as the first capital. Rodney, Mississippi almost won the vote. They, they were only three votes shy of becoming the first capital of Mississippi. That's how prominent that the town was. It grew. Uh, one of the most renowned professors and scientists, medical doctors in the entire nation at that time came, built a large home there, settled there. It was prospering. Had theaters and businesses and growing. But like every developing city in America, it had its problems. Two times a contagious fever hit the town and took away about a third to half of the population and they had to rebuild again. And we can understand that after going through COVID. But uh, Rodney continued to grow. It defeated two scourges of fever. Then there was a fire that they thought for sure so many of the buildings burnt, that would be the end of Rodney, Mississippi, but it wasn't. It rebuilt and it was strong. It did just fine until 1890. In 1890, it, uh, the river, which it was a port on the Mississippi, there was a sand barge, sandbar that developed above the river and caused the Mississippi to change its course until the river dried up and started flowing two miles away from Rodney, Mississippi. Rodney is now two miles inland from the river and it's a port city. Do I need to tell you what happened? When the river left, the town died. Rodney, Mississippi is a ghost town today. I am preaching right now, whether you realize it or not. When the river leaves, a church dies. When the river leaves, a nation dies. 
because the life and the movement we have is not in the preacher and it's not in the singers and it's not in the teachers and it's not just merely a particular individual that's there. The life in any church is in the spirit. And when the river leaves, then that church is doomed to die. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to report to the entire world, Rubyville is alive and well. There is a river that flows. Thank God that river makes healing available, life available, souls can be saved. It's the river that makes the difference. It takes the river. You're here today and you're lost. Excuse me for going a little longer, but I feel compelled to tell you that you're here today and you're lost. And all of this seems so confusing to you. It seems so odd. And you're wondering why? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? Why do they act like that? And the devil's saying, you don't want saved. You get saved. You have to act like that. Everybody in here don't act like that, but they don't care that there's others that act like that. You know why? Cause some people they're acting out what's going on and others are just shaking their head. Boy, that's great. But it takes all of us. But let me tell you why the river is so important. Here's how you know the river's here. Whether you've been here many times or this is your first time, let me show you the power of the river. You can pull onto a parking lot that you've never been on before in your life. People live stream this by the thousands every service. You can come here, pull on this lot, never been here before. You can come inside the doors of this church and never have seen it before. You can come in, sit down in a pew where you've never sat before. You can sit by people that you've never met before. You can hear singing from singers, from a choir, from a song leader, that you never heard those songs before. You can see a madman up preaching, running, hooping, hollering that you've never seen before, let alone carry on like that. And you can sit in that seat and all of a sudden there can be a feeling that can overcome you that you have never felt before. And something says, there is something missing in your life. You are not enjoying life. You're just enduring life and making it through. Something says there is a better life and there is a better way. And all of a sudden, you start getting feelings like you've never felt before. It may be a thump in your chest as your heart beats. It may be tears that come down your cheeks. It may be just the fact that you feel like you can't hardly breathe. A heavy 
in us. It may be that something causes you to grip the back of the pew. What is that? It's the river. It's the Spirit of God saying Jesus loves you and Jesus will change you and Jesus will take you to heaven and give you life. It's the river. 